Hello everybody, this is our fifth sermon looking at the series of what is our mission. Today we're thinking about witness and we're drawing on a passage of Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 32 to 39 and Luke chapter 24 verses 36 to 49. If I asked us to describe what a witness was, I'm sure that many of us would start to think about our favourite police dramas on the telly. Be it Midsummer Murders, NCIS or Line of Duty, the plot of these shows is fairly standard. A terrible crime takes place. The police hunt for evidence and the people who know what happened. They look for witnesses. Eventually, after many trials and tribulations, a case is put together and it gets taken to court. There the witnesses are cross-examined before a final verdict is reached. The criminal is sent down and we all breathe a huge sigh of relief. Let us think about the role of a witness in these programmes. First, a witness is required when an important event has taken place that the majority of people have not seen. In the case of a trial, the judge and jury were not present when the crime took place. They based their verdict on the report of the witness who was. In many ways, they were blind to the event, but they see it as if it happened in front of them through the eyes of another. Second, a witness is required when the truth is contested. There'd be no drama in our favourite TV programmes if the perpetrators came straight out and openly confessed to doing the crime. Oh no. They vehemently protest their innocence. They challenge the case of the police. They seek to provide false counter-evidence. The witnesses are therefore called upon in court to verify the truth, to establish trust in what actually happened. Witnesses provide the evidence to prove a case beyond dispute. Witnesses then have a very important role in these dramas. The lives of others hang in the balance as they give their evidence. Just before we move on to the Bible, there is one final thing I would like us to take from our favourite police dramas. Those of us who watch them will know quite a bit about what makes a good witness. We've just said that witnesses are called upon in situations of conflict where the truth is contested. Therefore, their story is going to be challenged in court. Equally, criminals will often trump up false witnesses to back their version of events. So the court has to discern which witness is telling the truth. Cross-examination can sometimes then be brutal. In these heated situations, what makes a good witness? What enables them to stand up to the pressure and get the truth across? Well, ultimately, good witnesses are people who are utterly convinced of the message they are conveying for themselves. They're not just relaying what someone else has told them to say. They're speaking from the heart, passing on what they know for themselves to be the facts. A good witness never changes their story because they never need to. They know what they saw, they know what they experienced, and they speak, act, and live accordingly. Those witnesses who are not convinced of the truth for themselves, or who were not really present when an event took place, 
are always found out in the end. So where am I going with all of this? On Sunday nights, we're studying a series on mission. We are asking the most important questions that human beings ever ask. Why are we here? What is our purpose? So far, we have discovered a vital truth. Our purpose in life is defined precisely by God's purpose for his world. Our mission is his mission. In our first week, we discovered that God created the world and was delighted by what he made. Part of our purpose as human beings, then, is to look after creation and use our own creative talents to glorify God. In the second week, we discovered that God is seeking to bring his blessing to all people on earth. Part of our purpose, then, as human beings is to be people who seek to bless those around us. In the third week, we discovered that God wants to draw the nations to himself. Part of our purpose then is to live holy lives that reflect God to others. Finally, last week, we discovered how God wants to rescue his people from the difficulty and suffering they find themselves in. Part of our purpose then is to act justly, to set the poor and oppressed free, just as God has set us free in Christ Jesus. This week we are moving on to the next aspect of our mission. Our God wants the world to know him, to enjoy relationship with him. Part of our purpose then as human beings is to be witnesses for the one true God so that the world might come to believe in him for themselves. But that then leads us to an important question. Why does God need witnesses in the world today? Well, the answer is very similar to that which we just thought about with our police dramas. It comes in two parts. First, our world is blind. The majority of people have not seen or known God for themselves. Now, that's not because God cannot be found. We see his glory in creation. We have his truth in the Bible. We have historical evidence for the life of Jesus. We have many prayers being answered by the Holy Spirit. The problem is that the world has been blinded by evil. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Our world does not see God because evil has filled their vision with other things. The idols of money, sex and power, the darkness of suffering and despair. Their lives are so full of things that are not of God, they cannot see him through it all. Therefore, when God acts in the world, they miss it. It's as if they were not there. Our world therefore need witnesses to be their eyes for them to give them the evidence to believe what they did not see for themselves. The second reason witnesses are required is because we live in a world where truth is contested. Be it by other religions, New Age spirituality or New Atheism, the gospel is no longer seen as the uncontested truth. Rather, Christianity is now seen as one option amongst a whole selection of equally valid worldviews. Jesus is either mocked, ignored, or seen as a tick box to complete alongside Reiki crystals, yoga, and a bit of Buddhism thrown in. 
The world needs witnesses to establish trust in the claims of the Bible, to verify that there is only one true God. For both these reasons, then, our witness today is very important. So important that every single one of us is called to it. We may not all be preachers or street evangelists, but we are all called by God to be witnesses to that which we believe. It is through our witness as individuals and as a church that others in the world will come to know the truth about Jesus for themselves. So now we have an idea about what being a witness entails. The rest of this sermon is going to focus on what it is that we are to bear witness to and how we can ensure that we are seen by the world to be credible witnesses to the truth. So what is it that as believers we are to bear witness to? Well, let's turn to our two passages to find out. Both of these passages have something in common. They are instructions given to God's people just before they enter a period where the truth will be contested. The Deuteronomy passage comes just as Israel are about to enter the promised land. There they were to live as God's people amongst the Canaanites. Now the Canaanites were people who worshipped all sorts of false gods. Israel had to go there and bear witness to the one true God who rendered their idols fake and powerless. It goes without saying that the Canaanites were not going to take to this too kindly. Things were not going to be easy. Israel's witness was going to come under pressure. So in this passage, God reminds Israel of the truths they are to stand on, the experiences that they have had and they are to speak about. There are three things that need to be shared. God's character, God's salvation, God's uniqueness. Through their experience as a nation, Israel have learned a lot about God's character. In fact, they've been very privileged to do so. Listen again to verses 32 to 34. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? Through their experiences in Egypt, Israel have experienced firsthand the proximity of God in that he heard their cries of pain, the compassion of God, in that he was moved to help them, the desire of God for relationship, in that he spoke to them, the power of God in the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea, the provision of God in the manna and water in the wilderness, the protection of God in the way he defeated their enemies, the guidance of God in that he led them by a pillar of cloud and fire and had given them the law. Israel have discovered that God's character is good, wholly good. He is awesome and holy, yet merciful and kind. He is a God of fierce and gentle love. Israel have also experienced God's work of salvation. Listen again to verse 37. 
Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength. Israel knew what it was to be rescued by God. And they knew for a fact that it was God that rescued them because for 400 years they had been slaves in Egypt and they'd never managed to get themselves out of trouble in all that time. Israel had been saved by God alone, in his power alone. He had to get all the credit and all the glory. He had set them free. He had swapped their sorrow for joy, death for life. Now, when you put together Israel's personal experience of God's character and God's work of salvation, they could only come to one conclusion. Their God was utterly unique. He was the one God, the only God of heaven and earth. Listen to verse 35. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. Then again in verse 39, it's abundantly clear. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. This was what Israel was to bear witness to as they entered into Canaan and came into confrontation with the pagan religions that were already there. Their God was the only God, the one true God. All other idols were fake, they were abuses of power and works of evil, but their God loved the Canaanites and wanted them to come to know him. When Israel were questioned as to this fact, they could give their evidence. Like a witness being cross-examined in court, they could tell of real-life events with absolute certainty because they witnessed them personally. They knew God's character because he had revealed it to them. They knew God's salvation because they had benefited from it. This then was what they were to bear witness to. God's character, God's salvation and God's uniqueness. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament and we discover that absolutely nothing has changed. In our reading from Luke 24, Jesus also calls his disciples to be witnesses for him. Again, this call comes just as God's people are about to enter a period where the truth is going to be contested. They're going to be sent out into all the world to speak of the resurrection. An event that's never happened before. An event that no one is going to believe to be true unless they have some evidence. In those verses from Luke 24, we see again that Jesus wants his followers to bear witness to his character, his salvation and his uniqueness. The passage began with Jesus turning up to his bewildered disciples and speaking these words. Peace be with you. Boy, did the disciples need peace in that moment. Jesus had been crucified, their hopes and dreams lay shattered, and they were terrified that they were going to be next. But of course, Jesus was risen, and he turns up to prove it. On his arrival, Jesus finds his friends engulfed with doubt and despair. But he does not get angry or rebuke them. Instead, he speaks peace. He has pity on them. He gently shows them his hands and side. He allows them to touch him. 
What compassion Jesus shows here. What kindness, forbearance, understanding. Oh, how he loved these disciples. In fact, Jesus had spent the last three years revealing his good character to the disciples. When he called them right at the start of his ministry, the Bible records it like this. This is Mark three thirteen to 14. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to those him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. Jesus knew right from the beginning that one day he would send out his followers to speak about him. But for them to do that, they needed to know everything about him. They needed to know his character. So for three years, Jesus had shared his whole life with them. They had been truly with him. In that moment, as the risen Jesus comes to his disciples and says, Peace be with you. Everything that they knew about Jesus' character was distilled into those four words. He was good, he was kind, and he loved them. And he was the only one who had the power to bring peace into their lives. But this passage is about much more than just Jesus' character. What he calls them to be witness to is his salvation. Listen again, verses 45 to 48. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What had the disciples been witnesses of? They had witnessed the cross. The terrible, brutal death of Jesus that was done solely to forgive the world its sins. Now they were also witnesses to his resurrection. As Jesus ate a piece of fish in front of them, he proved he was no ghost. The grave really had been defeated. They'd not just been saved from their sin, but saved from death as well. This is the message they were to pass on. The fish eating just one part of the evidence they had witnessed firsthand. And like with the Jews in Deuteronomy, when the disciples put together their experience of Jesus' character and his salvation, they became sure of something important. He was utterly unique. Jesus was the Messiah, as foreseen by the prophets and the Psalms. He was the Father's Son. He was God. And now he was risen. He was King of the universe. In the years ahead, this truth would be contested. The Jews would renounce their Messiah. The Romans would try to wipe out his followers. Interestingly, the word translated martyr in Revelation is the Greek word witness. The world tried to wipe out Jesus' followers because they gave the evidence for a truth that turned the selfish structures of society upside down. Jesus knew this would come. That is why he took the time to give them the evidence that they were to bear witness to. And that is why he promised them the Holy Spirit to help them speak up. So let's just recap the ground we've covered in this sermon. We're thinking today about how part of our mission as followers of Jesus is to be witnesses for him in the world. We are to help our blind world see God. We are to give evidence for the real truth in a world where Christianity is seen as equal to many other religions and ideologies. 
as witnesses, we are to share what we know of God's character, his holiness, power and love. We're to share what we know of God's salvation, achieved through the cross and empty tomb. And we are to share what we know of God's uniqueness. We worship the one true God. Jesus is the one true Messiah. We're to wait for no one else. He is King of kings and Lord of lords and always will be. No one will take his throne away. This is what we are to share with the world. Through our witness, many will come to know the truth. After all, all of us did through the witness of those who went before us. But I want to finish with one final thought. How can we make sure that the world sees us as credible witnesses? After all, there are many people out there making claims about themselves and their supposed gods. How can we be as believable as possible in our witness? Right at the start, we said that the most convincing witnesses in police dramas were those who were utterly convinced of their story. Therefore, they never wavered from it and never changed it. They were uncrackable under fire because they knew the truth from vivid first-hand experience. The same is true for us. If we want to be good witnesses to our family, friends and community, then we've got to get to know God for ourselves. We've got to spend time in prayer and worship. As we feel his spirit, as we see prayers answered, we'll be more and more convinced of God's power and more and more convincing to our listeners. We've got to get to know the Bible, to understand how it holds together and points to Jesus. Our witness will be strong if people see that we're not just making things up, but referring to God's word. It will also help us to think through our testimony to know what we're going to say in advance, so that when the opportunities come, we're ready to seize them. If someone said to us, why do you believe in God? We need to know how we would reply. The same is true of questions like, what is God like? Who is Jesus? How do you know that prayer works? What difference does being a Christian make to your life? Every single one of us could be asked one of these basic questions in our homes, at the sports club, on the street, in our workplace. When they come, they are our chance to be a witness. Let's make sure we're ready to take them. On this Pentecost Sunday, we remember Christ's call for us to be witnesses. We remember him giving us his spirit to empower us to do it. Let's play our part to be the most credible witnesses that we can so that others may come to believe in Jesus for themselves.